Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call you Father, even though we are so sinful that we do not deserve to hear from your word. Lord, please forgive us our trespasses and our offences against you. And may you enlighten our minds this morning as we look at your word. May it speak to us clearly and affect our hearts so that we can serve you better in the weeks to come. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, I think I've mentioned before that I've never been in a fight. I've never, at the school, I've never punched people up. And, uh, but that doesn't mean that there were no fights at my school. <clears throat> Picton High School, I'm not sure if it was any more notorious than other high schools for having fights. There were regularly fights in the playground. And the way you knew where a fight was going on was by a large crowd of children gathered in one spot uh, where there was no food. Generally the canteen had lots of crowds of children but other parts of the playground generally didn't have crowds of children. And so if you saw a large crowd of children over in one spot and started to hear a fair bit of noise, you knew that there was a fight going on over there. And there would be a fair bit of noise and it wasn't the noise of people making peace between the fighters. It was one, generally one word repeated over and over again. Fight, 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 fight. School children are very good at having fights, having conflict between one another and at actually going into punching each other up. And when other people come around to see what's going on, they generally encourage it. Well, school children do. They fan the flames by their words. They aren't there making peace. The time that peace comes is when a teacher comes along and starts to try and settle things down. They aren't there to fan the flames, they're to settle it down. Conflict between school children is common and conflict between adults is also common. And so we are called to make peace over this conflict. There is an opportunity to make peace in many places in the world because conflict is all too common. And that's what we're dealing with this morning, this attitude of peacemaking. Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount uh, for three weeks now, and the beginning is these Beatitudes, those attitudes that God blesses, and the first week we saw those attitudes, and there's eight of them all together. We saw the first four have to deal primarily with our relationship towards God, those attitudes that we have towards God that he then blesses, and that the last four have to do with attitudes towards those around us that God blesses. And so first week I did four, uh, the first four, then I did two last week, even though I intended to do four, and this week I planned to finish up with the last two, but there was so much good material once more that I decided to cut it in half and to just do one beatitude this week. So we're looking at just the peacemakers and next week, if the baby hasn't come, I will look at the, the last one. But if I continue slowing down at the rate I have been, that one really should be done over two weeks. Um, but we shall see how it all works out. So this week we're just looking at that one attitude of blessed are the peacemakers, this attitude of making peace. And so I've got two main points this morning. My first main point is why should we make peace? And then my second main point will be how do you make peace? So firstly, why should we make peace? Why should we be peacemakers? Well, the first reason is fairly obvious that that is the attitude that God blesses. Blessing 
from God is his approval and so if we want to be approved of by God, if we want to be blessed by God, we need to be peacemakers towards those around us. But also there's a blessing associated with it. So each of these uh, beatitudes, up, up the front you see that that's the, uh, the attitude that God approves of, that there's a blessedness associated with it, but then there's a, a specific blessing that follows that attitude as well. And what is that specific blessing in verse 9? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. If we wish to be called sons of God we should have the attitude of peacemaking. Why does peacemaking mean you're a son of God? Well, what Jesus is getting at here is this whole idea of children taking on the characteristics of their parents. When we have a baby soon, I hope, hopefully tomorrow, or even later this afternoon, if you're going to add that to your prayers, this afternoon would be just great. Um, When we have that baby, I'm sure Jill and I are going to look at that baby and as it grows up and start to look for certain characteristics, physical characteristics in that child that we can see, oh yes, you can see me in that way or you can see Jill in in the baby in this way. You start to look for certain characteristics to show that that child belongs to you, that the child is your child. And this doesn't just stop at physical characteristics but we also look at characteristics behavioural characteristics that are adopted by the child that demonstrate that that child belongs to you as well. Soon after Jill and I started dating, she pointed out to me that when I rub my eyes, I put both hands up and sort of do this screwing motion like I'm a little child crying. And I had never noticed it and she brought it to my attention. I thought, all right, there you go. And then a few months later, I was sitting on the couch with my family and I noticed my dad doing the exact same thing. And he, he does it all the time now that I've, I've picked up on it. And so there you go. I picked this up from a very young age probably that that's how you rub your eyes. And so I've taken on that behavioural characteristic from my father. And it's the same thing if we, the same idea, if we claim to be children of God, if we claim to have God as our father, we should start seeing characteristics of our God in us so we can identify ourselves as children of God. That's what the, uh, the Beatitude says, for they will be called sons of God. And this comes through peacemaking. That's one of the greatest attributes that we can identify ourselves as children of God is if we are peacemakers because God our Father is the greatest peacemaker of them all. He has made peace with the world through Jesus Christ. He has reconciled a rebellious party, a warring party against him with himself. He has come into the world to die for our sins so that we could no longer be at war with him but instead be at peace with him. And then flowing out of that work on the cross as well, we start to make peace with those around us, that we have God's mercy so that we can start making peace with those around us. And so, just as if we want to make sure that we're a child of a particular parent, these days uh, it's no longer just about looks, you can actually get a DNA test if you're questioning uh, whether you belong to a certain parent. It's the same with God. There is an equivalent of a DNA test to test whether you are a child of God. And what is that? Whether you're a peacemaker, Jesus says. If you want to know whether you are a child of God, 
You should see peacemaking as an attribute that you show to those around you. So that's why we want to be peacemakers. Is not so that we can become a, a, a child of God, it's to show that we already are a child of God. If you want to become a child of God, you look at those first four Beatitudes about being poor in spirit, mourning over your sin, being meek towards God and then hungering and thirsting after righteousness and being filled. That's how you become a Christian. But if you want to see that you truly are a Christian, you've confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour and now you're wondering, am I truly a Christian? Start looking for peacemaking as one of those characteristics of yourself because that shows that you belong to your Heavenly Father. He is the great peacemaker and you can see that attribute in him and then you can see it in yourself and go, I do belong to him. I am one of his children. So that's why we should be peacemakers is so that we can identify ourselves with God our Father. My second main point then is, well, how do you make peace? How do you make peace? Well, if you're going to be a peacemaker as a child of God, then you've got to make peace between two groups, two different groups. You can make peace between people and God, so a vertical relationship there of making peace, and you can make peace between people and people. So people and people and people and God. So we'll deal with those uh, individually. That's how you make peace. You've got to identify the two groups and then go ahead. So how do you make peace between people and God? How do you make peace between people and God? Well, this is a little activity that we as Christians like to call evangelism. We go about making peace between people and God through evangelism. How do people come to be at peace with God? Well, it's through their own personal faith in what Jesus Christ has done. God makes the move, he sends his son into the world to die for our sins and then people believe in that and are at peace with him. But along with that whole process of them becoming at peace with God, there are Christians, hopefully in the mix, around the edges, encouraging it. Just as we saw in the school playground, the children are there yelling, fight, 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 and encouraging the war. So the Christians should be around the edges, encouraging instead the opposite. They should be encouraging the peace between God and the man. And peacemaking in that sense, is crucial in people becoming a Christian. Romans 10.14 speaks particularly about this, how important it is that Christians are involved with peacemaking between God and man. Romans 10.14, if you've got a Black Pew Bible, it's on page 1121, 1121, 1121. It says, Romans 10.14, it says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? It's talking about non-Christians. How can they call on God if they have not believed in him? And then it says, And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? If you're going to believe so that you can call on God, you need to hear about God. You need to hear about Jesus Christ. And then it says, And how can they hear without someone preaching to them. For someone to call on God, they need to believe. To be able to believe, they need to hear. How could they hear? By someone preaching the gospel to them. People don't come to knowledge of God apart from God being revealed 
through Jesus Christ and that is generally done throughout church history by Christians sharing the good news with them. It is Christians getting in there and trying to encourage peace between God and man. And so if you call yourself a child of God, you should be encouraging peace between God and non-Christians. Non-Christians are clearly at war with God. They are rebels against God. They do not want to acknowledge him as king and so they fight against him every day by serving themselves or serving some other God instead. And we should be there trying to encourage them to be at peace with God through Jesus Christ. And so we do that through ourselves, witnessing. We are all called to give an answer for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So we should be regularly looking for the lost around us and witnessing to them about the good news of Jesus Christ, that they can be reconciled to God if they put their faith in Jesus but we also do it by supporting the work of people to preach the gospel. That's what Romans 10, 14, it uses the word preaching there and preaching is seen to be important throughout church history. It is one of the primary ways that God shares the good news of Jesus Christ is through preaching. And so you do this by uh, supporting uh, preachers. So you do that at a local level here. All of you uh, who regularly attend here and give to the work here and sit in the pews here each Sunday, you're supporting me getting up the front here and telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I won't miss the opportunity right now to then say if there are any non-Christians here this morning, be at peace with God. Stop rebelling against God. Turn to him. Put your faith and trust in Jesus so that you're no longer at war with God but at peace with God. So you can support me as Christians uh, up here each week and you can also support missionaries going out overseas and preaching the gospel. How will they hear, Paul says, unless someone goes and preaches to them? There are some very dark countries that have no idea who Jesus Christ is at all. The majority of the population has never heard of Jesus Christ. Or if they have, they've only heard bad stuff about him, lies and slander. We are called to make sure that people are going over there to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, how they can be at peace with God. And so we should be giving of our time in prayer for such people, for missionaries to go over and we also have the opportunity to give financially to support them to go overseas and to, make, to encourage people to be reconciled to God, to be at peace with God. So that's the first group, people and God, sort of the vertical relationship. But also we are encouraged in our peacemaking to make peace between people and people. And this includes between non-Christians and non-Christians. Just because they're non-Christian doesn't mean that we can't encourage peace between them. So different countries that may be warring against one another and have no acknowledgement of God. We can encourage peace between them. We can encourage peace between Christians and non-Christians. And we should be encouraging peace between Christians and Christians. It may surprise you to know that Christians and Christians can have conflict between them but it is a certain fact all through church history and I'm sure you may have even witnessed it yourself that Christians and Christians do have conflict between them and so we need to encourage peace 
between Christian and Christian. So we need to encourage peace between all people, not just divvy it up between the non-Christians of the world and the Christians. So how do you make peace between people? How do you make peace? Well, people would say different things about how you have make peace. There's, you have peace talks and this kind of thing and the, a good portion of society is given to how can we reconcile people with one another and people draw on their vast experience of what has worked in the past as to how you make peace. What are good tips on making peace? But the problem is that I am fairly young and so I can't draw on years of wisdom and how to make peace between others. But I do have a very old book in front of me that's older and wiser than anyone in this room can claim to be and it speaks an awful lot about how to make peace with other people. And one of the books that is very clear on this is one of the wisdom books called the Book of Proverbs. It has much wisdom about how to reconcile conflicting parties with one another. And so I'll draw from that book of wisdom this morning with a few tips for you on how to make peace between people and people. We are called to be peacemakers if we want to know that we're a child of God. And so here are some tips from the book of Proverbs. The first tip... I've got two tips. One is to do with your tongue and the other is to do with your actions. The first thing is to be careful with your tongue and there's two ways that you can be careful with your tongue. Firstly, hold your tongue. Hold your tongue. Proverbs 10.19 says, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. There's another proverb, a proverb of the world that says, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That does not come from the Bible, and as far as I'm concerned, it's absolute rubbish. Uh, Words do hurt, and they hurt more Uh, more in a greater degree I think than actions can at times. Words can be very painful. They can cause great violence. So what does Proverbs say? Hold your tongue. Hold your tongue. When words are many sin is not absent. But people say oh I must express my mind. I must tell that person how I feel about them. The question is must you? Must you really tell them? Must you get it off your case about them, how much they have made themselves disagreeable to you? So many things can be let go. So many. In order that you may have peace between you and that person. Hold your tongue. Don't express your mind every time someone uh, seems to cause conflict with you or does something that you don't like. Hold your tongue. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. And this includes gossiping. Gossip is lots of words about other people, isn't it? And this causes a conflict between the mind of the person that you're gossiping to and the person that you're gossiping about. You're trying to cause conflict between those two parties as you gossip about that person. And Proverbs 26 verse 20 talks specifically about gossiping. 
It says, Proverbs 26, verse 20, Without wood a fire goes out. Without gossip a quarrel dies down. Without wood a fire goes out. Without gossip a quarrel dies down. It is as sure as a fire not being given wood and it will eventually go out is the same for quarrels. If you've got a quarrel with someone, you want to fan the flames of that quarrel, feed gossip into it. If you want the quarrel to die out, Proverbs 26.20 says, don't gossip and it will go out. Hold your tongue. And then last thing about holding your tongue, does, I, I have drawn a little bit from my experience here, is one time that it is important to hold your tongue is when the mood is not right. Sometimes things do need to be spoken about, but there's a time to say them. And I uh, think about myself in this situation. Jill and I learnt very early on in our marriage that first thing in the morning we don't speak to one another. It's not Jill's problem, it's more my problem. I'm fairly grumpy first thing in the morning until I've had my shower and then I'm a lot more amiable. First thing in the morning, we don't speak. We hold our tongues. Even if there is something that really we need to talk about at some point during the day, first thing in the morning, not the time to speak about it. So if someone was to walk into our house, they'd see us at the breakfast table and they might think, ooh, hostility, tension in the air there because we aren't speaking. We're both sitting there having our breakfast in silence but it is us learning to hold the peace in the household. That if I speak, I'm likely to speak with hostility regardless of the situation. And we learned this also with uh, late at night. We may be driving home from somewhere. We need to speak about something. I bring up the subject and then we just realise we're too tired to talk about this and whatever we say, it's going to end up causing some sort of conflict and we need to just postpone it till the next day. It does need to be spoken about but there are certain times to speak when the mood is much better. So uh, be careful with your tongue by holding your tongue, but then when you do speak, Proverbs advises us to use gentle and wise words, to be pleasant and use wise words. So speak pleasantly. Proverbs 16 verse 24. Proverbs 16 24 says, Pleasant words are a honeycomb sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. If you wish to cause healing between conflicting parties, use pleasant words. And we have a whole vocabulary in, in English of pleasant words. What do you teach children when they're very young? You say please and thank you. You use these pleasant words to convey the message that you're getting across. You speak very kindly towards one another. There is a way of saying things nicely that resolves conflict between different parties. Speak pleasantly. They're like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And then also use wise words. Proverbs 12.18. Proverbs 12.18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. If we want to bring healing to conflicting parties, we should use wise words. We should not use foolish words because they cause great damage. So, think before you speak, hold your tongue, then 
think, then speak. And then, if you can, use biblical speech if possible or use biblical wisdom. The Bible is a great resource of wisdom. It knows you and the other people better than you know yourselves or they know themselves. They may come to you and ask, what should I do in this situation? Firstly think, what does the Bible say about this situation? What does the Bible tell me to do? And then go from there. It is full of wisdom. Use it if you wish to bring healing and wish to be a peacemaker. And also, of course, pray for wisdom. We all recognise our deficiency in wisdom, but God has great wisdom and he gives it willingly to those who ask. There is the promise in James that he gives wisdom to all those who ask for it. So ask for wisdom so that you can be a good peacemaker. And then also be careful with your actions. Be careful with your tongue is the first way uh, that I've looked at of how you make peace between people and people. But also be careful with your actions. Proverbs 29.19 says, A servant cannot be corrected by mere words. Though he understands, he will not respond. Proverbs 29.19 A servant cannot be corrected by mere words. Though he understands, he will not respond. If you just simply give words and there is an action that is required or needed or that could help the situation, mere words on their own will not be effective. And this is an important point to make about true peace because there's true peace and then there's fake peace. You can have true peace only when you uphold justice and holiness. Fake peace can come with sin and a loss of justice, holiness and truth. For example, fake peace can be there when a country invades another country. A tyrant invades, wants to take over another country, take advantage of the resources that are there, comes in and what can the country that's being invaded do? Well, they can make peace. They can say, okay, yes, come in, rule over us, take advantage of us and we'll be at peace with you. But that's not really peace. They're still being uh, taken advantage of and there's still conflict going on even though there may be appearance of peace. It's a fake peace. There's a loss of justice that has occurred. And so to make true peace, sometimes there is a major struggle that needs to come about to maintain justice. Jesus is not saying here, be a pacifist. He is not saying, don't ever go to war. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but one day he will return on a white horse as a warrior to make war so that true peace can be maintained for eternity. Sometimes we do need to go to war to maintain justice so that true peace can prevail. And that's what we would have remembered uh, last Anzac Day, a few weeks, a week and a bit ago, is those people that have given of themselves so that true peace can be made, so that true peace that is associated with justice may be made. And it is the same thing with fake peace and lies. You can have fake peace with lies or you can have true peace that upholds truth. See, at the time of the Reformation, when the Protestant Church broke away from the Roman Catholic Church, 
This verse was commonly quoted by the Roman Catholics to the Protestants. They were told, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. You're disrupting the peace by breaking away from us. And there were different wars breaking out because of the Protestant church breaking away from the Roman Catholic church. And so they were encouraged to make peace. But the Protestant church knew that if they were to make peace with the Roman Catholic Church, it would be at the expense of truth. The Roman Catholic Church was teaching the lie and still teaches today that if you want to be saved, it is faith plus works. If you want to be a child of God, you put your faith in Jesus Christ and do all these things. Whereas the Protestant Church recognised that it is faith alone. We cannot do anything to earn our salvation. It is a gift from God. And so in order to uphold the truth, they broke away. They caused conflict and there has been conflict ever since. There has been different attempts to resolve that conflict at different times but it is at the expense of truth when that happens. As long as the Roman Catholic Church continues to teach faith plus works as a way of salvation, we are called as Protestants to protest against that because it is at the expense of truth. It is at the expense of God's word. So sometimes we need action to uphold true peace. It is not just good enough to make words to have little peace talks and say nice things to one another. We need action to take place. If there's an injustice being done, then to obtain true peace, that injustice has to be resolved. And Abigail is a great example of it. That was a bit of a long reading we had from 1 Samuel. But she is a wonderful peacemaker. Did you notice how she makes peace between Nabal and Nabal's men, even though they weren't too happy about what Nabal had done? And David, she wanted to make peace between the two parties. And she didn't just go to David with all these kind words. She does say very nice things about him. And you see later on when Nabal dies, if you read the rest of the story, he ends up marrying Abigail, David does. So um, she obviously won his heart there in some way. She has lots of nice words to say. But she didn't just have nice words. What did she do? 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 25. David had been protecting Nabal's flocks and deserved a part of the produce that came from those flocks. He was deserved it. He, he was owed it by those people. And so when he was not, uh, he did not receive it, what did he say in verse 12? Uh, no, verse 13. David said to his men, put on your swords. And injustice is here and he's off with his swords to make it right. And then Abigail the peacemaker comes. And what does she do? She has the nice words but verse 18, Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sears of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins and 200 cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. She knew what was required to make peace here. Not just words but action was required to overcome this injustice against David and his men. So sometimes we are called to make big sacrifices to obtain true peace. And that may require a lot of your time in resolving two conflicting parties. It may require some of your finances. And sometimes 
Young men, you may be required to go to war to make peace between different parties. Not so many young men here, I'm thinking about myself there. But yes, <laughs> and Ralph. So um, yes, if the conscription comes through, I'm not sure what the cut-off date is. Uh, for, uh, but I mean, when Hitler, he started to go really young for, um, for people to take part in his uh, army as they ran out of men. But yes, sometimes we have to give our very lives to make true peace. Jesus isn't calling us to be pacifists. But sometimes it's little actions. Particularly if you're in the home, you're wanting to make peace. Jill and I also worked out very early on in our marriage that there was a little habit that I did regularly that kind of disrupted the peace. And that was leaving cupboard doors open. Kitchen cupboard doors open. I moved straight from home into being married with Jill. And my mother used to come along and shut kitchen cupboard doors behind me. As I got something out, I'd leave it open, she'd come along and shut it. And I never thought anything of it. Jill spotted that I did this, and having cupboard doors open looks very untidy in the house, and I can sympathise with her now. But I, at first, was like, oh, I didn't realise. And so, to make peace in the home, I had to learn a new habit. I said, Jill, be patient with me as I develop a new habit. Don't get too cross the second time I do it. Uh, just say, remind me gently, you've left it open again, and gradually I picked up the new habit and so peace was restored in the home over that issue. And so I encourage you today, if you're truly keen on making peace, go home to your family and ask, are, are there little annoying things that I do in the home that might be resolved, that may be a cause of conflict further down the track or as they add up these little annoying things, they, they erupt into conflict in other areas. If you are truly keen to make peace, you should be prepared to say that. But see, the thing is that springs up in our hearts is the action that is required that may come out of such a talk. But if we are truly keen on making peace in the home, and showing that we are like our Heavenly Father, we are peacemakers, we should be prepared to do the little things as well as the big things to restore peace in the home. So this morning we've learned why we should be peacemakers so that we would be like our Heavenly Father. We've learned how to do this by restoring peace between people and God through evangelism, through their faith, but through our encouragement in evangelism, between people and people, by our speech and by our actions. The question is, are you known to be a peacemaker? Are you a peacemaker in your family, amongst your friends, at work? Are you willing to do things to encourage peace? Well, if that is yes, this blessing is for you. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. But if that is not you, if you do not regularly encourage peace, if you are not known to be a peacemaker in the home, at work, amongst your friends, then Jesus says, cursed are the peacemakers. That's the opposite of this. Cursed are the peace breakers, I should say you will not be called sons of God. If you wish to know that you're a child of God, be a peacemaker. Let us speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the great peacemaker, that you sent your Son to die for us so that we could be reconciled to you. We pray that we may indeed be peacemakers ourselves 
encourage peace between people who do not know you and yourself, that they may come to be reconciled with you through the peacemaking that we do. We pray also that we may be peacemakers amongst other people and between ourselves and other people, that we may be careful with our tongues and careful with our actions. And we pray this in your precious Son's name, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Amen.